boom. Hey, everybody. It's me, Sean Harwell. You're listening to the Never Heard of It podcast. Once again, thanks for coming back. We're glad you're here. This is the podcast where we talk about the movies that have fallen through our cracks and hopefully some of yours as well. Joined again today, as always, by my only co-host I will ever have, unless he decides he doesn't want to do this or just needs a day off. His name's Craig Moorhead. Say hello, Craig. Hello, everybody. Craig, how are you? I'm doing all right, Sean. It's almost full-on summertime. Yeah. And, uh, getting in the swing of things. How, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm feeling the same way. My daughter had her very last day of preschool today, oh, so wow. that was big and exciting. She acted like it was completely a non-event whatsoever. Yes. <laughs> we cleaned out the cubby, and uh, that, that was it. So, uh, hey, real quick, I want to say hello, Oslo. It seems like we've got some listeners in Norway for some reason. All right. Yeah. Hello, Oslo. I've always wanted to go. Seems like a lovely place. It does. So thank you for listening, and hopefully we'll watch a Norwegian movie sometime so we can uh, butcher names in your native tongue. Yeah, we have been kind of light on Norwegian movies, huh? <laughs> we really have. I don't know that we've ever done one, and nor do I know that I can name a single Norwegian movie, but maybe we'll rectify that, correct? Yeah, I think so. Hey, you want to tell people where they can find us online? What you can do, Sean is yep. you go to neverheardpodcast.com and you can find us wherever we are from that sort of hub of activity. Because mm -hmm. we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, and, uh, and you, you can contact us in any one of those places if you feel you need to, if it's an emergency of some kind. Please, uh, anything we can do for you, we're here to serve. Yeah, if you're in Oslo and your basement's flooded, let us know. Yeah, we'll we know see what we can do. tips and tricks for... Cleaning out your basement. You're going to want to check your sump pump. Yep. Right. Oh, well, yeah. For that matter, obviously, you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Spotify, too. If you're a Spotify That's listener, right. you're looking for the convenience of just using Spotify only. Maybe you have a grudge against Tim Cook. Doesn't matter to me at all. But yeah, check it out. Uh, let us know what you think. And if you're in Norway, let us know how you feel about uh, what's going on. What movies you'd like to uh, have us, uh, you know, watch and maybe talk about. And even if you're not in Norway. It, go, it works for everybody. Yeah. You know what's really nice, too, is if you're in Norway and listening to this, and maybe this is why we've had like a, a bump in numbers, is that when you and I talk about American movies of mm. like relatively current, by the mm -hmm. time we see them, they're probably just getting to Norway, too. So it's that like, could be. you know, it's just right on the tip of the tongue there. Yeah. Right on the cultural cusp. That makes total sense. Well, now that we've solved that riddle. Yeah. It's June. We're talking about two new movies. We're going to tee up one today, and that is the 1974 movie called The Cars That Ate Paris. Now, Craig, mm. you picked the movies for May. You went with a Mother's Day loose theme, movies about women. That's right. And we did two great ones, Blue Steel and that other one, which was Johnny Guitar. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which I blanked on for a second. I don't know why I did. It's okay. June, obviously, is the month of Father's Day, but I figured... You know, I mean, I already go to the barbershop and ask them for the Moorhead, so I didn't want to just, like, copy you to a point where it got weird. No, And no. do movies about Father's Day. So Sorry. I thought, hey, let's, yeah, it's been a while since maybe we've watched some stuff from overseas. It's summertime, people are going to be traveling. I'm not going anywhere overseas, but if I were, Australia would be, like, at the top of my list. So yeah. I went looking, and I found this amazing title, The Cars That Ate Paris. And then immediately recognized the director, which you're going to tell us about in a little bit, and mm. a great poster. So I said, hey, let's, you know about this movie? I think you had maybe heard a little bit about it, maybe seen a poster or VHS tape or something. 
But you haven't seen it, right? I've not ever seen it. Not even a single frame. Well, we're going to change that. It is available on DVD. I think it may have been on the Criterion Collection at some point. But it is also on Filmstruck.com if you're out there looking for a place to watch it. And that's what we're going to do very, very soon. But tonight, we're teeing it up. Craig, you want to tell us who uh, who made this movie? The Cars That Hate. A Paris. Oh, that was good. So first, we're going to start, as we normally do, with the director of the movie. And that would be Mr. Peter Ware. Love him. Now, Peter also directed movies such as Witness, Dead Poet Society, Truman Show, Picnic at Hanging Rock, not the new one, right? and Fearless, among many others. Master and Commander, right? Master I and mean, Commander. Oh. He's done a ton of really, really uh, great work. Yeah. Uh, even if you're not familiar with his name, you've probably seen lots of his stuff. Lord knows I have. Yep, me too. And he is... I would say by far the most recognizable name in this cast and crew, which is kind of interesting. The movie was written by Peter Weir and a couple of gentlemen, Keith Gow and Piers Davies. Uh, I didn't see a ton of recognizable stuff in their uh, credits. I, and I think this is true of most of the folks on this list. Like It kind of seems like they have stayed in Australia and continued working there. The movie was also produced by Hal and Jim McElroy, Siamese Twins. What? No. But, okay. uh, but. <laughs> <That was> amazing. Oh, <laughs> uh, you had me. Yeah. <laughs> it was either that or to say no relation. And I just, I didn't know. No, I like it. You went with the right choice. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Hal McElroy uh, produced, among other things, The Sum of Us uh, and Picnic at Hanging Rock. Jim also was on Picnic at Hanging Rock and seemed to have done The Year of Living Dangerously, which Hal did not. I don't know why. That's when they got disconnected, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They had the surgery finally. Cool. Music by Bruce Seaton, who did the music for Roxanne, among many other uh, movies. Cinematography. Now, you have to, Sean, on movies, someone needs to sort of man the camera, okay? They don't have, like, robots to do that? No. Well, certainly not back then. Okay. I mean, much, much more so now. It's much more accepted now. Gotcha. So our cinematographer is John McLean, possibly John McLean. I'm not sure exactly how it's pronounced. He also shot a great little Australian movie called Wake and Fright. Try and say that without my voice cracking. It's okay. Called Wake and Fright, uh, which is pretty great. And another movie that I remember watching as a kid, and I now I can't remember anything about it, called The Quest, starring Henry Thomas of E.T. Maybe we need to do this movie. Cause I, Sounds I, familiar, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember seeing the box a lot when I was a kid, and I'm pretty sure I saw the movie. But then looking at it now, it's kind of like, why would I have seen that movie? Is he on a quest for Reese's Pieces? It's not. Oh, jeez. That's the twist. Okay. Editing is by a gentleman by the name of Wayne LaClose. LaClose? Keeping it LaClose. Yeah, playing it real LaClose to his vest. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't recognize uh, the other um, titles that he had in his credits there, but uh, it also seems he certainly has done quite a bit of work. And that brings us to the cast. I think there are going to be a lot of faces in here you're going to recognize, whether or not you know where you recognize them from. First on the list is John Melon. Definitely not how you pronounce his name. He was in Crocodile Dundee, Dundee 2, uh, Wake and Fright. You'll recognize, you'll see his face, and you'll go, Craig was right, I recognize him. Yeah, he looks familiar. Another gentleman by the name of Terry Camilleri, is how I want to uh, pronounce the name, which is a lot of fun to say. Yeah. 
He was in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. No kidding. Uh, that's right. And Truman Show. Although I gotta say I didn't... Maybe he was Socrates? No, Socrates was old. Anyway, I gotta watch that movie again. <laughs> it's been a long time for me. It's definitely time to revisit. Oh, he played the Reaper, didn't he? Well, no, I thought that was like Bill Sadler or somebody. Oh, his, his eyes look very familiar, though. Anyway, right. Sorry. Yeah, totally. But anyway, fellow by the name of Chris Haywood. He was in a movie called Quickly Down Under, a Tom Selleck movie from the 80s, which I still haven't seen. I've always been really uh, fascinated by it because it, yeah. like, it looks like it's Tom Selleck's movie to make up for the fact that he wasn't in Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> it's one of my favorite titles to just say out loud. Oh, it's great. Uh, I've, I've said that title a million times in my life. I don't know that I've ever seen the movie either, but no. yeah, it's a good one. A young lady by the name of Melissa Jaffer, who was in Mad Max Fury Road. And probably the most recognizable face for me is a guy by the name of Bruce Spence. He was in, I believe, all the Mad Max movies. Maybe not in Fury Road. But, uh, like, besides Mel Gibson, he is, like, the most recognizable face to me of the Mad Max movies. And and has also just been in a ton of other stuff, big and small. But, but that is, that's as far as I went with it. I, I kept looking and I, I wasn't seeing a lot of uh, other things that might kind of whet people's appetites. So I'm going to let the rest of it be a mystery. I'm sure some of these people are more familiar to the Aussies out there, but that's Absolutely. not us. So yeah, we'll, we're getting our education here, Yeah, traveling abroad. So this movie, although, yeah, it includes Paris in the title, we're obviously not talking about Paris, France here. Paris is a fictional town. They actually shot in the town of Sofala in New South Wales. This was October 1973. It took about four weeks. It's a very low-budget movie. Uh, I think it was around 250 grand. It played the Chicago International Film Festival in October of 74. It came out in Australia around the same time, and it was not until 1976 that it really landed on American soil in June that year. Mm -hmm. Coincidentally, Paris, Texas, almost uh, a decade later from this movie, being released. Anyway, so this movie was distributed by New Line, and that, that's kind of interesting. I, I read a little bit about that because New Line at the time was primarily just a distribution company. It was less than 10 years old, in fact, and for a long time, apparently, it was ran out of uh, Robert Shea's apartment in New York City until they started financing and doing their own films, and a lot of those early films that clicked for people and, and made money were uh, stuff that John Waters did, including Polyester. Yeah. And then, of course, Nightmare on Elm Street was a New Line movie, if I'm not mistaken. That's true. But this movie was not supposed to be distributed by New Line. It was supposed to be distributed by Roger Corman in New World Pictures. That was the original deal that they had, and they negotiated on that for a very long time, I think over a year, and it ultimately fell through. But, Craig, have you yeah. heard of a movie called Death Race 2000? Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely you have. Well, that's a Roger Corman movie, and that came out in 1975. And it features cars with spikes and teeth that are used to attack people. And uh, you can probably read between the lines there that there's some similarities, perhaps, between this movie we're about to watch. But the director of Death Race 2000, Paul Bartel, stated that he had not seen Peter Weir's movie at the time that he directed his but the question remains, did Roger Corman greenlight that movie? <laughs> uh, right. Or just how inspired he was by Peter Weir's movie? We may never know. Anyway, oh, this is totally <laughs> coincidental, but guess what this movie was called in Ding 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 Norway, Craig? Uh, the Cars That Eat People. Nope, just Cars. What? 
I know. Well, it's kind of funny because I hope people in Norway, if you're listening in Norway, let us know about this. If you go search for cars, the Pixar animated movie, uh, does does this movie pop up instead? I would like that. But yeah, actually, you were right. The Cars That Eat People is what this movie was originally released as in America. Yeah, that was one thing I, I kind of remembered about it. I think that may have been the first title that I had seen I like both titles. I like both of those. Yeah. I mean, the cars that eat people definitely implies one thing, and the cars that ate Paris is just weird enough that uh, it's still uh, somehow connected to that other thing, but somehow weirder. Anyway, the movie did not do so great in Australia, apparently. Um, in fact, they changed distributors, and they changed their ad campaign entirely, trying to pitch it. They, I think, fluctuated between a horror film and an art film, and I'm not sure they ever landed on one. And on IMDb, it calls it a comedy horror, so who the hell knows? But by 1980, it had made, uh, it says 112000 was returned to the producers. So I don't know. This is not on box office mojo that I could tell. I'm not sure it ever made its money back. I mean, who knows? But it, it does have some cult classic notoriety over time. This was one of 50 Australian films selected for preservation as part of the National Film and Sound Archive of Australia's. Uh, Kodak Atlab Cinema Collection Restoration Projects. That's cool. So hopefully the transfer that we sit down and watch will look good. Sure. Critics. I didn't find much at all from the actual release of this movie, but Luke Buckmaster, which, God, I hope that's his real name. That's a great name. Writing for The Guardian in 2015, said the mantle for the most batshit crazy Australian automobile movie belongs to the cars that ate Paris. Went on to say Mad Max director George Miller once described driving in Australia as a socially acceptable form of violence, which is amazing. And quoting Miller said, the Americans have a gun culture. We have a car culture. And uh, went on to say the Cars That Ate Paris is both part of that and a carnivalesque reflection of it. It's a complicated satire and a valent and eccentric classic. So Luke Buckmaster likes it. That's good enough for me. That's good enough for me, yeah. So this obviously looks like it's going to kind of fit into what I think, you know, we now know is like this, these like crazy Australian car movies, but it definitely predates Mad Max. The first one, that was 1979. Mel Gibson came onto the scene there. It was also sort of one of the first Australian movies to gain recognition at the Cannes Film Festival. Now, I get some conflicting reasons as to why that is. One, it appears that some of the production crew went over to Khan dressed up like characters from the movie, and they also got a hold of a Volkswagen and covered it with spikes and drove it around the streets there. So that got some attention. <laughs> That's awesome. As you might imagine. Yeah. But I read also it was turned down and did not screen in competition there because it was deemed too violent and too gruesome, but it was shown out of competition in the marketplace and that's when uh, conversations started taking place with Roger Corman. So, who knows? It said it was a success, that screening, out of competition. But I don't, I don't, I don't know how to qualify that exactly. Anyway, mm. uh, Peter Weir apparently got the idea to make this movie while driving through Europe, where road signs on the main French roads diverted him into what he perceived as strange little villages, according to Wikipedia. And interestingly enough, unlike, say, Dr. Strangelove, this is the opposite, this was originally conceived as a comedy to star Graham Bond, who's an actor I don't recognize, but mm -hmm. it later evolved into what it is. Hey, Craig, though, 
Did you see that Donald Pleasance, your boy from Halloween, uh, was considered for a role in this movie? I did not see anything like that, no. Yeah, and it says that he was interested now, and he is in Wake and Fright, which you've seen, right? Yeah. Okay, so that was a, f- a few years earlier. But, and this is the role that John Mayon, Mayon, I don't know. You said it better, but uh, yeah, we probably no, both totally got it wrong, did. if we're being honest. Mm-hmm. It is the part that he ultimately played. And according to the book, The Last New Wave by David Stratton, Donald Pleasance did like the script, and he wanted to do it. But, quote, although his fee was very reasonable, there just wasn't enough money to pay him. So God only knows what the other <laughs> actors got. <laughs> but yeah. that's always fun. The Volkswagen car, which is prominent on the poster here, and is going to be a big part of this movie, uh, was modeled after an Australian animal called the spiny anteater. It's also known oh. as uh, Echidna. Echidna? What am I, Steve Irwin? No. Yeah. Oh, but no. similar to a hedgehog or a porcupine, but because it's Australian, obviously, it's weirder, and I can only assume venomous. And this movie was also turned into a musical theater production in 1992 by the Chambermaid Opera in Melbourne, which that wow. sounds really interesting, just yeah. <laughs> what little I know about this movie. But last bit of trivia is one I'm just going to tease a little bit because I didn't read too much into it yet because I have not seen the movie. But there are apparently notable differences between the U.S. version and the Aussie release, including, and this is always, always makes my eyebrows raise, an added narration. There is a site called PeterWeirCave.com. (laughs) <laughs> that has side-by-side analysis of the difference. I'm going to look into that a little more thoroughly after I watch the movie. Mm-hmm. I would like to think we'll be getting the Australian version, but yeah. I'm not positive. So I'd say, Craig, if you watch it and there's narration, you're probably getting the U.S. version. All right. Well, And don't hold that against New Line. Unless it's, if you don't like it, hold it against New Line. Try not to. Oh, probably yeah. Okay. Their fault. That makes more sense. Who knows? But that's it. Peter Weir, I think this is his first movie other than, I think he had made a short film. Not positive, maybe you said that. I did not. That's why it really jumped out to me, and I think it's going to be hopefully some bloody weird fun. I hope so too. I've seen this yeah, poster about a billion times. I'm excited to see what's actually behind the, behind the poster. Yeah, I would never call Picnic at, at Hanging Rock a horror movie. It's so weird and tense and creepy. That hopefully, you know, if this is that, plus a little extra insanity, uh, man, um, I'm super psyched. So, hey, go watch it. Come back next time. Join us. We'll get real, real deep into it. Oh, going deep. (laughs) So bad. Uh, Hey, any last words, Craig? Uh, Last words today uh, are from our... Roseanne? Are you going to quote Roseanne? Uh, Yes. Uh, Things are going so well for her. I'm going to go ahead and just take some of what she might say. No, it's okay. We I I don't want to be canceled. I'm sure somehow we can be. So keep (laughs) it. uh, Yeah. Keep clean. Keep clean. Keep clean. Uh, Hey, hey. Good night, Norway. Awesome. All right, bye, y'all. Bye, bye. (laughs) 